Well, at this time, now we're going to come to the point in our service where we will look at a passage from the Bible. We're going to talk about what it means and why it matters for our lives and what the point of it is, how, how it affects our lives today. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, would you turn to John chapter 10? If you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be a brown pew Bible in front of you, and you'll find John 10 on page 759 of this Bible, 759. Chapters are the large black numbers, the verse numbers are the small numbers below, and John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, if you want to stand with me together, we'll read God's word. Stand if you are able, and we'll read together John 10. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, the sheep listen to his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and just commit this time now as we hear from God and ask him to teach us what he wants to show us today. Living God, I ask now as we come to your word that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see and to receive what you want to show us. I believe you have a purpose for each one here that you've brought. and I'm asking you this morning to accomplish that purpose by the power of your spirit through your word preached. You tell us in your word that whenever you send out your word, it doesn't return void to you. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. God, would you accomplish that purpose in each one of us today? And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. After describing her harrowing voyage at sea as a seven-year-old girl traveling all the way from Naples, Italy in 1901, Rose Malazzo recounts this. She says, all of a sudden, we heard a big commotion, and everybody started yelling, they see the lady, the Statue of Liberty. We all ran upstairs, my mother, she got out of bed, we went upstairs, and everybody started screaming and crying. You were kissing each other. People you didn't even know before were alongside you, and you never paid any attention. Everybody was so excited that you see America, you see the lady with her hand up. Statue of Liberty, she was one of the very first sights of many immigrants that they had between the years 1892 and 1954, lighting the way to Ellis Island, just off the coast of Manhattan in New York, 
where over 12 million people actually were processed and then transported to what they all hoped would be a new and better life than the one that they just left. In her classic poem, written to help raise the waning funds of support to build the Statue of Liberty, a woman named Emma Lazarus penned this poem entitled The New Colossus, which was then uh, cast in bronze and placed on the pedestal of the Statue of Liberty. It says this, you perhaps have heard this. Part of the poem writes, Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with ancient lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. In fact, Emma's poem was one of the reasons that Ellis Island eventually came to be called the gateway to the American dream. My wife and I, we had the privilege uh, two years ago to visit Liberty Island and Ellis Island. Uh, I was traveling to New York for my 40th birthday celebration. And it was an incredible experience that we had exploring these places, imagining what it would have been like for those first travelers entering into the U.S. coast, seeing the Statue of Liberty and coming to this gateway now where they hoped to pursue all those things, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I remember we also learned all kinds of interesting things about the design of the Statue of Liberty, everything from the broken chains at her feet to the reason that she's facing away from New York Harbor and out towards the lands where she's welcoming visitors. And as we walked through the buildings and the grounds of Ellis Island, we heard story after story, just like Rose Malazzo's, of the overwhelming hope and joy inspired by the vision of that lady lighting the way to this gateway to the American dream. But we're continuing our series this morning that is entitled, I Am looking at eight things that Jesus said about himself, recorded in the Gospel of John. And as I've said each Sunday, the reason Jesus said those things and the reason we're looking at them is so not that we could just gain more facts about Jesus, but so that we could know who he is. It's because knowing who Jesus is enables us to develop and have a personal relationship with him, which is essential because it's only in having that personal relationship with Jesus that we are actually changed and transformed by him. So far, the things Jesus has revealed about who he is is that he's God. The transcendent God, the I am of the bush and the burning bush in Exodus and the one who is also with us and for us. That he is bread. That he is the only food that can truly satisfy our soul's deepest hunger and give us everlasting life. Last week, we looked at Jesus as the light of the world who guides us through the dark places to life. And now today, the next thing Jesus wants to reveal about who he is, is that he is the gate. He's the gate. When you think about what a gate is, what it does, I think we could all agree that it has at least two purposes. One is to provide security and protection. It keeps things out that we want to keep out, and it holds things in that we want to keep in. But another purpose that a gate has, it also provides a, mean of, a means of 
entry and exit. It's, we go through doors. We go through gates. And I mean, uh, for instance, we've said, hey, uh, we want to replace the front door of our church at some point. Great. But I'm still glad that we have doors at all. We can get into the building. Those are important things as well. So I'm quite sure that Jesus, when he describes himself as a gate, meant both of those things as well, both of those senses of what a gate is and what it does. So that's how we'll look at our passage in those two ways today. We're going to talk about the gate as protection and then the gate as access, just those two things. The gate is protection and the gate is access. But there's going to be something different about today's message because Jesus' revelation of himself as the light actually stands in between two other revelations of who he is. On the one side, we have Jesus' revelation of himself as the light, which we looked at last week, which we need. We need that light that Jesus provides in order to find our way to the gate. And on the other side, Jesus' revelation of himself as the gate comes right in the middle of Jesus' revelation of himself as the good shepherd, which we're going to look at next week. So the good shepherd who, who guides and cares for the sheep who've entered through the gate into him. So we're going to focus specifically this morning on Jesus as the gate, but I think we'll see today in our passage that just as the Statue of Liberty lit the way for those transatlantic voyagers to find their way to the gateway to the American dream, so too does Jesus, the light of the world, guide all who will follow him to the gate, the sole access point to which we enter to a new and a better life in him. So, if you have closed your Bibles, would you open them again to John 10? I would love you to follow along with me as we look now at this next thing that Jesus wants to reveal about who he is. If you look in verses 7 and 9 there, that's where you see explicitly Jesus say those words, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. But looking at it in a sense of what we just said about the two things that the gate is, that it does... Let's look, first of all, at that gate as protection. The gate as protection. Now, I don't think that's going to be hard for any of us to imagine how a gate or a door of any kind could be protection. I mean, we all have doors on our homes that we lock at night. Uh, farmers would put a, a gate on their chicken coop to keep the, the raccoons and the coyotes from getting in and killing them. We even put gates on, on castles, right, so that attacking armies don't just walk in and take over the place. All that to say, I mean, we, we all understand what it means that a gate would, would keep things out, would protect. But also, if you think about it a bit more, gates also, don't they also keep things safely inside? I mean, uh, if the same gate that uh, keeps raccoons out of the chicken coop also keeps the chickens in, doesn't it? Keeps them from running all over the place. Uh, uh, the same gate or, or, or lid that keeps uh, our pop from getting bees or, or dust or stuff from going inside also keeps the pop inside should we spill the bottle. And of course, uh, those of you who are parents, we've all put gates at the top of staircases or, or at bedsides to help our young, now very mobile toddlers from taking dangerous spills. It, it keeps things in as well. So the protection that the gate or the door that Jesus is offers, has both of those elements, right? And in our, in our passage here, I think Jesus is describing himself in both those ways too. He is the one who, who keeps the sheep safe from harm outside, but he's also the one who keeps the sheep, the sheep that are his safely inside. 
But before we can explore this any further, I think we need to just define a few terms, just so we're all on the same page about what we're talking about. So look at, verses, look at verse 1, first of all, with me here. Let's just read this quickly again. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Verse 2, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, the sheep listen to his Voice. Now, three questions that we need to figure out right away. Who, who are the sheep that this gate is protecting? Okay. Second of all, uh, what is this sheep pen that the gate is guarding access to? And thirdly, who are these thieves and robbers trying to harm the sheep? Very quickly, the sheep. Sheep, first of all, all through John's gospel, actually all through the Bible, many times are people. It's describing people. Uh, many times the Bible will use sheep in a describe humanity in general, and really it's describing uh, our ability, our spiritual intelligence, really, when it comes to navigating life, which, if you don't know how dumb sheep are, that's not a compliment. It's meant to describe our need to be guided. But then there's other times, like here in John, where sheep is used very specifically to describe a group of people who hear and respond positively to Jesus' voice. That's what we see in verse 3, for instance. Those ones who hear Jesus' voice and follow him, those are his sheep. So it's a specific group of people. And knowing how John is using that term sheep now helps us understand what the sheep pen is. Right? The sheep pen would be a place, a, 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 an enclosure where you would keep the sheep, and that's where they would live and dwell. So here, in the same way, the sheep pen, an easy way to think about it, broadly speaking, is it's, uh, it's the church. It's, it's our local church, it's the universal church, it's the family of God. That is the sheep pen of those who are inside the sheep pen. It's God's family. So who are the thieves and robbers then? Well, if you look at verse 10 of our passage here, Jesus says the thieves and the robbers are the ones who seek to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. Now I think in verse 10, referring specifically to the thief, Speaking in a singular sense, I think Jesus is referring specifically to Satan there. But the, the context of our passage, where this lands, I think helps us give a, a bigger picture of what Jesus is referring to when he talks about these thieves and robbers and those who seek to harm the sheep. Because where Jesus talks about these thieves and robbers is immediately following what we looked at last week in John 9 where Jesus had just healed a man born blind and he was badly abused by the religious leaders who questioned him and his family and Jesus in the process. So the context helps us to see, broadly speaking, these thieves and robbers, those who would seek to harm the sheep, are the religious leaders. These guys who have been opposing Jesus and his work right from the beginning. And I think there's actually plenty of references in the New Testament that talk about the Pharisees and the religious leaders this way, those who would actually seek to lead people away from the gate. So these are the thieves and robbers, I think specifically here Jesus is referring to. Okay, so now putting this all together now, Jesus as the gate provides protection in that just as we saw last week in John 9, he, he protects his sheep from those who would seek to harm them, but he also guards them, he enfolds them, he seals them as his own, so that no matter what comes, they always remain his. Okay, so this is what we read about in places like Romans 8, where Paul cries out, if God is for us, who could be against us? Or what Jesus is going to say just a few verses later in John 10, he says, I give them eternal life, they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. They're protected, they're safe when they're guarded 
by Jesus, he's saying. But if you look at verses 1 and verse 8 of our passage, Jesus is also talking about these thieves and robbers, these false shepherds, trying to get into the sheep pen another way. Either. Uh, like they, they see the gate and they're like, okay, I, I can't get in that way. I'm going to try and get in a different way. Uh, whether that's to get at the sheep or to, to get into the sheep pen themselves. But what we've been looking at all through these past few weeks with the religious leaders, didn't they already think they were very much in the sheep pen? Didn't they think, hey, I'm part of the family of God? And yet, they didn't go through the gate, did they? They thought, hey, I'm in the sheep pen. Why? Because I'm Jewish, Abraham's my father, and because I follow the law. I'm a rule keeper. That's, that's, what, means, that's what makes me in the sheep pen. So they said, okay, I don't need the gate, actually. I can get in a different way. But just think about that. The minute you start talking about anybody, trying to get into anything other than through the door, trying to climb in some different way than the gate that's actually intended for you to come in, automatically, doesn't that trigger in our minds? Like, oh, no, no, there's something wrong about that, right? something sinister about that. I mean, you think about it. Uh, if you've ever gone out to visit uh, Don and Akko's house up by UBC, there's a little gate at the front there. If you buzz at the gate and the gate opens and you just walk in, nobody's going to think anything about that. But if you buzz at the gate and then people see you doing this, and then like jumping over the fence, right away everyone's going to be like, oh, there's something sketch about that guy. He's, he's clearly up to no good. He's not going in through the gate. Or to use our analogy of uh, Ellis Island, let's say there's a big ship of immigrants, they're all coming in, but all of a sudden they veer away from Ellis Island and they start unloading people over at the beach at Coney Island in Brooklyn. Okay, nobody's going to say, oh, well, you know what, I guess the lineups were long at Ellis Island today. No big deal. No, they're going to say, whoa, 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 you can't do that. There'd be police. There'd be Coast Guard there right away just being saying like, no, uh over there, please. They'd say, what, you either come in through the gateway or you don't come in at all. And I don't want to take anything away from two weeks from now, what Glenn Bowles is going to bring to us about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. But I think very clearly what we see here. Jesus revealing himself as the gate in a protective sense. There's a third way in which he provides protection for his sheep. And what that is, is clearly identifying who is inside the sheep pen. It's those who've gone through the gate. Not those who who are trying to get in some other way. Those who are sticking their hand through the wall and saying, Hey, I'm in. Look at me. I'm inside the sheep pen. No. No, just like uh, the Coast Guard would say to those who are trying to avoid Ellis Island, the same thing Jesus would say to these, you either come in through the gateway or you don't come in at all. He is the one point of access into the family of God. There is no other way in to truly be in. Okay, that, that's, that's the first way Jesus is the gate for us. He's a gate as protection, guarding us from those who seek to do Jesus' sheep harm and sealing us forever as his sheep. Next, let's look at the other way Jesus is a gate for us and talk about the gate as access. The gate as access, which makes sense because, of course, along with talking about gates and doors providing protection, we also talk every day about doors, gates, being the way you get into stuff. That's how you come in, uh, whether that's trying to come into a building, uh, uh, coming into a, a field, uh, uh, whatever it is, like trying to get into a pickle jar, or even getting into someone's heart. How many of you ever heard the expression, uh, the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach? That's a gateway, a gateway to the heart right there. 
Jesus uses the exact same language of his gate providing access there in verse 9. Look with me. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture there. So now, now you see, not only is Jesus talking about access or, or entering through his gate, he's talking about entering and exiting, free access, coming in and going out. Which those of you who have ever stumbled across a parking garage that has in and out privileges, that, that's a big deal, right? You don't just come in and now you've got to stay in. You come in and go out freely. And we're going to flesh out access a bit deeper as we go here, but I think it's important we just stop right there and take note for a minute because, yes, thinking of Jesus revealing himself as the gate, we said that the gate is about holding those inside, sealing those forever as his. But what that's talking about is only about the security of our relationship with Jesus. It's not describing the gate as some kind of a prison that's, that's sealing us in now and we can't get out. The gate is something that we can come in and come out in freely. In the Book of Common Prayer used by our Anglican and Episcopalian brothers and sisters, there's a, a written prayer in there called the Collect for Peace, which I think holds the tension between these two things perfectly, both a sealing and protection of the gate, as well as the freedom of entry and exit. Listen to what it says. It says, O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, and knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom. There's the coming and going, the free access. Service to God is freedom. It's not a prison, it's freedom. Now the protection piece. Defend us, thy humble servants, and all the assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in thy defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So you see there, in fact, I, I think the prayer is implying that it's the very certainty, the very security of our relationship with Jesus that enables us to have that freedom of access coming and going. To know that we can go out and at no point will we ever come back to the gate and find it now locked to us. It is open now always for us to come and to go. But notice as well, Jesus talks about what we find when we do enter through him. When we enter through that access that he provides, look again at verse 9. He says we will be saved or kept safe and that we'll have freedom of access to come and go through him and find pasture. Now maybe when you first read that, you kind of would think, really? That, oh, that doesn't sound very good to me. I, I don't need to find pasture. Um, remember, we, we're looking at these things through the lens of Jesus' metaphor of a sheep. Okay, so being protected from your enemies, those those. Predators that are seeking to pursue you, giving free access to the lushest, greenest of pastures for a sheep. That's good news. And I think Jesus translates that metaphor for us as human beings now in verse 10. Look there. You see, he's contrasting what the false shepherds would offer. And in verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is saying that in entering through him, all of those things, safety and protection from predators who would pursue us and seek to do harm to us, as well as green, feeding on the greenest of pastures, all those things, you gather them together, you sum them up in one word, it's this, it's life. Life. But not at all just meaning physical life. Because I'd like to believe that all of you who came in here this morning are already alive. You feel your pulse right now and say, 
No, I've already got life, thanks very much. It's, it's not physical life that he's offering. And we've talked about this a number of times now through the last few messages, but we're going to see it once again, no surprise, that when Jesus says those who come through his gate find life, he doesn't say bios, the Greek word bios, which just means physical life, material life. He says all who enter through him will have full unhindered access to zoe life, eternal life, life that transcends the mere physical existence. And he says that all who enter through him will have full, unhindered access to that. And they'll have it to the full. They'll have it abundantly. Some of your translations will say, life abundantly, that they would have it to the full. That's the Greek word perisos, which means life that's extraordinary. Life that is lavish. Life that is profuse. That's the life that Jesus offers for all who will enter through this one gate and find it only in him. Which, by the way, no does not mean life uh, that means abundant life, that means uh, you having a bunch of cars and houses, uh, having a debt, cancer, problem-free existence. Th- th- those are all primarily bios definitions of abundance. While we do have abundant life right now, we do have access to that, and, and life truly is full of God's blessings, we must never forget The ultimate fulfilling of this promise of life to the full is still to come. It's still to come. When we pass from this life to the next, when when this vapor of a 75, 85-year experience gives way to an eternal one, that's when we will fully know the life abundance that we only see and experience in part now. It's for now, but it's fully true then. One of the clearest pictures we have of that and one of the clearest examples that we see in God's Word, surprise, I'm sorry that we just keep going here, but it's in the book of Exodus. Once again, Exodus 13 and 14. There God's people, his flock, are being pursued by the Egyptian army. Those who would seek to either kill them or rip them back to come to be their slaves once again in Egypt. And standing there with no hope, Helpless, nothing they could do. It's there that God opens up a gate, opens up a door right through the heart of the Red Sea for his people to pass from certain death into life that he promises on the other side. And yet, although they enter through the gate that God provides, that they are saved from their enemies, they're then fed with manna from heaven and water from the rock as they travel all through the wilderness. The the ultimate salvation, their ultimate filling, their ultimate life, it's not yet. It's still to come. At last, when they finally enter into the promised land. That's when they fully realize the promise of what God has offered them. And as I said a year ago when we were going through that series on Exodus, it's so imperative for us today to remember always where we are in that story. From salvation coming through the gate to life in the wilderness to the promised land. We need to remember where we are on that timeline. If you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, you've passed through the gate from death to life. You do have salvation from Him. You do have sustaining grace and provision for the journey, but you're not home yet. You're not, you're not over here. You're here, somewhere in here. 
And sometimes the thing we need to remember is that along with just the difficulties that we're going to continue to have in this life, just living in, continuing to live in a sin-cursed world, sometimes those difficulties, those trials that we face are also meant to remind us that we're not over here yet. They're meant to remind us we're still here so that we don't get too comfortable here. We don't start setting up shop here out in the desert, putting down roots here, living a desert existence when the life and the land flowing with milk and honey is still awaiting. This isn't what he's saved us for. He saved us for this. And the trials and the difficulties of life remind us there's more to come. The full fulfilling of that life abundance is still yet to come. I don't know if this occurred to you already or not. It didn't immediately occur to me, but one of the other things that we haven't even considered as we've looked at this whole discussion is how it is one finds the gate. How do you find it? Because I don't know about you, but whenever I hear about Jesus describing himself as the gate, in my mind's eye, immediately I see a big wall or a big fence of some kind, and there's a gate. Usually it's very beautiful. It's got a nice handle. A gate in front of it. There's maybe ivy around it. And I'm looking at the gate, and then I've got to decide, okay, well, how... What am I going to do? How am I going to... Should I go through the gate? Should I not? Do you remember what Jesus said to the religious leaders last Sunday after he'd healed the blind man in, their response to their, in response to their mocking question that they might also be blind? He said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Or do you remember the context into which Isaiah prophesied that the light of Jesus would shine? He said the light of Jesus would shine to a people walking in darkness. People dwelling in a land of deep shadow. That's where the light would shine. Now do you see, this now is where Jesus' revelation of the light is so key. Because when it comes to seeing Jesus as the gate... You should not be picturing a wall with a gate that you're looking at. What you should be picturing is fumbling around, blind through darkness. You can't see your hand in front of your face, feeling your way across a cold stone wall alone and the sound of wolves ever in the distance. That's how Jesus reveals himself as the gate to you until the light shines and reveals the gates to you. You could be standing right in front of it and not know it until the light reveals to you, this is the gate, this is the way in. This is the way into life. Without the light, we would never find the gate at all. So it's in admitting our blindness. It's in admitting that we can't see that we're offered the light that leads us to the gate where we'll find protection, where we'll find access to that Zoe life. And stubbornly refusing to admit that we actually can't see where we're going. We only continue to wander and fumble in the darkness, wandering hour by hour further and further away from the gate. In his classic uh, allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan describes this man named Christian, a young man with a large burden on his back meant to describe his sin. And early on in the story, Christian is talking to another man named Evangelist, who's seeking to direct him to the place where his burden can at last be removed. And in the midst of their conversation, Bunyan writes this. 
Then said the evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, Do you see yonder wicked gate? No, said the man. Then said the other, Do you see yonder shining lights? He said, I think I do. Then said evangelist, Keep that light in your eye and go directly there, and then you will see the gate. And when you knock, you will be told what you should do. See, it's just, it's just the same with us today. Jesus' light alone is what leads us to the gate. Keeping our eye on that light which guides us through the darkness to find the gate and entering in then where we find life to the full. Today, Jesus' next revelation to us has been that he is a gate. He is the gate, both the, the, the one who delivers us from our enemies and seals us as his own, as well as the one who, who offers us life to the fullest, access to the fullest of life when we enter through him, life that is fully true now and fully realized then in the next life. But as I've said every week, these revelations of who Jesus is aren't meant to give us just facts about Jesus. They're meant to elicit a heart response in each and every one of us when we see them. So I want to take a moment right now in this service because in a minute, service is going to be done and busy Vancouver life is going to take over and we'll forget. Maybe whatever's been shown to you right now will go drift back, fade back into darkness again. I don't know. So I want to take time right now to think and consider in your own heart who Jesus has revealed himself to you as this morning, as this gate. And in this moment, consider your own life and heart. As you think about Jesus as the gate, I pray that first of all, the light that Christ has shone into your own heart would be revealing Jesus as the gate. I pray that he'd be shown to you as the gate, the only one in whom we find protection as well as abundant life. But I also pray that even as that light reveals the gate, that it would also show you all the other gates and doors that you've been pushing on in the darkness, that now you'd see them for what they are. Gates that remained locked to you or gates that freely opened to you but brought you into places that robbed you of life. Where thieves stole the life that they promised. So many of these gates promise so much and yet they always end up leaving us hungry, tired, alone, thirsty, still walking in the darkness. I want you to consider your own life and heart right now. Think of what those doors are. Picture them in your own mind's eye right now. What are those other doors you've been pushing on them? What's, what's written on them? Maybe some of those doors say addiction. Maybe some of those doors say finding a spouse or having kids. Maybe they say career success, financial security, control. Maybe the door says acceptance or answers to my questions. What are the doors you've been pushing on, say? 
Now, yes, obviously, some of those doors are, are clearly destructive, but the scary truth is every single one of those doors can actually become a door to a prison. When you enter through those doors seeking to find life that can't be found there, it promises you life, but it can't fulfill what it's offering you. There's only one door we can enter through where we truly find life. Remember what Jesus said. Remember his words to us. Verse 9 and 10, he said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's what you get when you walk through the gate. So to return to where we began, what that means for all of us is that the true light of liberty shining over the dark ocean of all of our lives this morning is lighting the path to the gateway of life. Life well beyond an American dream. Life beyond your wildest dreams. Life to the full. That's what's being offered you by this gate. But as we also learned, you either enter through the gateway or you don't enter at all. There is no other way inside. Some of you have never walked through the gate. You've never seen it for what it is, or now that you've seen it, you've realized, I've never walked through that gate. I pray today will be the day for the very first time you would walk through that gate and find the life, the life to the full that's being offered you this morning. It can be yours today. For others of us, you have walked through the gate but the free access that you have, the security of your relationship that you have with Jesus now has brought about a, a wandering. Maybe it's brought about a spiritual apathy. And you've actually gone back to pushing on some of those old doors again, trying to find life somewhere else. If that's you, I pray this morning that the light that Jesus offers would reveal what's truly behind those doors and light your path clearly back to the gate, the only gate where you find life. Wherever the light finds you this morning, know this, that the hope of the gospel, the hope of that good news that we place all of our hope and trust in, the hope of the gospel is that because of Jesus' death for your sin, because of his resurrection, now that means that that gate that was once close to all of us is now open to all. It is fully open, it is open for all time, for all who will follow the light and enter it. Like the evangelist said to Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, only keep your eye fixed on that light. It will lead you back to the gate.